Hello and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. I'm your host today. My name is Natasha Kanova and I head JP Morgan Global Commodities Research. Today we want to talk about the price cap on oil price and I'm joined today by Anatoly Shaw, our head economist for Russia. Anatoly, welcome. So the G7 leaders agreed this week to work on a price cap for Russian oil as part of efforts to cut Moscow's revenues. Uh, the goal from the uh, from the G7 is two-pronged. First, it's to limit upward pressure on global oil prices, uh, at the same time curbing Russia's revenue from oil sales. To achieve those goals, the allies agreed to explore a new mechanism that aims to impose a ceiling on Russian oil price, the so-called oil price cap. So the idea behind this price cap is to permit countries that have not imposed import bans to buy Russian oil as long as the oil is priced at or below a predetermined price. Uh, the cap could be enforced via limits on availability of European insurance for Russian oil cargos, uh, as well as shipping services and U.S. finance. Uh, the G7 leaders have not indicated where the price cap would be set, but it must be lower than the $80 at which Russia's euro grades trades today and higher than Russia's marginal cost of maintaining production levels. Uh, we estimate it to be at around $40 per barrel, so that would ensure Russia's earnings are reduced uh, while production is being maintained. So it does appear this price cap of around $50 to $60 per barrel would likely serve the G7 goals of reducing oil revenues for Russia while assuring barrels continue to flow. Uh, for the price cap to work, oil importers like India, China, and Turkey, which have significantly increased their purchases of heavily discounted Russian grade, would need to agree to participate to access even cheaper oil. Um, so Thinking about what could go wrong, yes, Anatoly, and uh, my personal opinion is that the most obvious and likely risk with a price cap is that Russia might choose not to participate and instead uh, retaliates by reducing exports. Uh, so, in fact, uh, Russia has already showed its willingness to withhold supplies of natural gas to the European countries that refused to meet payment demands in rubles. Um, so, what we have the example is that after entirely cutting off the flow of pipe gas to Netherlands, Bulgaria, Finland, and Denmark. Since the start of June, Gazprom has reduced its flow of, flow of gas to Italy by about 50% and to Germany by about 60%. So um, we, when we look at the total flows of gas from Russia to the European Union, they actually, as a whole, they're now receiving 53% less gas from Russia than it averaged at the start of the year. So unlike gas, which accounts for about one-fifth of Russia's budget revenues oil makes up a half. Uh, so Anatoly, as, as, as an expert in this matter, in your opinion, how much oil production can Russia realistically cut without hurting its economic interests? Thanks for having me and thanks for a great question. Um, well, I guess in short, I think um, authorities have a lot of policy space to respond with um, reduced oil or gas supplies especially in the near term, in the next um, six to 12 months, there's a lot of space. Um, to, let me give you a bit of background why I think so. Um, so the main macroeconomic challenge in Russia these days is excessive inflows of hard currency into the local market, which leads to significant appreciation of the exchange rate, which is well past the levels we, we, we saw be, before the... Uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict, um, and uh, the you know the the main drivers uh, of these dynamics 
are related to sanctions, actually. Perhaps this is unintended consequences of sanctions. So let me give you three main drivers. One is central bank cannot accumulate foreign reserves anymore. And this, uh, in the past, traditionally was one of the main tools to uh, manage the exchange, the exchange rate. Uh, second, capital outflows have declined substantially because local economic agents, banks, corporates, um, oligarchs fear further sanctions and don't want to accumulate um, much in terms of uh, foreign mm -hmm. assets. Um, and, you know, households would like to diversify away from Russia risk, but uh, again, sanctions broken the link between Russian market and external markets, so they cannot uh, buy foreign securities, for example. So uh, in the past 10 years, uh, Russians on average accumulated roughly $80 billion a year in foreign assets. And now this flow is probably going to be much, much lower. And third, uh, current account widen substantially as sanctions hit imports disproportionately more than exports. Uh, imports essentially halved, while exports, uh, although there was a big decline in physical volumes, uh, price effects more or less offset um, this decline. So exports uh, more or less flat. Um, so what we have is this unsustainable dynamics in the balance of payments when on the one hand, current account trade flows are much stronger, but on the financial account side, um, outflows either by the public, public sector or private sector are much lower, which is pressing the exchange rate. Um, so could the authorities in this environment use reduced exports as a tool? Yes, certainly. Um, and another side, uh, of this story is uh, how much capacity they have on the fiscal side. I think they're pretty well prepared as well. Um, the starting position is very strong. Um, last year, they, they recorded a small surplus. Um, this year is taking a small, a very small deficit. Um, and if, for example, uh, they were to decide to cut output by 3 million barrels a day, um, the fiscal deficit would expand uh, only slightly by 1-2% of GDP. Um, you know, and, Excel, and they would probably get a, a desirable um, reduction in the current account of surplus of um, you know, roughly $80 mm -hmm. billion. Dollars. Um, and, uh, you know, if they end up uh, with a deficit of uh, roughly 3% of this uh, GDP, this is easily financeable size of deficit, given how much in terms of buff buffers they have. Uh, they have large savings in the national well-being fund uh, of almost $200 billion with usable amount of $115 billion. They have large uh, uh, treasury balances, and they have a very low uh, level of the, uh, sovereign debt of 16% mm -hmm. of GDP. And the, system, uh, the local system would probably easily absorb additional issues from the finance ministry if they uh, were to uh, issue more. Um, so, yeah, I guess in this uh, setup, um, if uh, there is a decision uh, to install a cap, yeah, I guess there they will be policy space for the Kremlin to, to respond. And I agree with you, the, uh, what we've seen in gas 
is an interesting signal in that regard, how they could respond. Right. So just to summarize your view, uh, to put it in number there, that in your opinion is that given Russia's strong fiscal position, the country can cut up to 5 million barrels per day of production without excessively hurting its economic interests. Five uh, million barrels a day sounds like a borderline, by, but okay. three, three sounds like a reasonable guesstimate. Um, yes, so that's that's an eye-popping amount. And, um, and in this regard, Natasha, what are your thoughts about the implications of such an oil output cut, um, let's say 3 million barrels a day uh, on oil price? So the, the issue for us mostly is that we're entering the summer, which is the, the, the high demand season for us, and the liquidity is extremely low. In general, liquidity is low during summer, but this year it's exceptionally so. So given this high level of stress in the oil market, a cut of 3 million barrels per day could cause global brand price to jump to $190 uh, per barrel, uh, while the nightmarish scenario of 5 million barrels per day cut will drive oil prices to a stratospheric $380 per barrel. So those are eye-popping numbers, uh, but again, if we just you know run those through our models, that those are the numbers we're coming up with. And do you think there are technical limitations, uh, um, you know, for the ability to, of the Russian oil sector to actually cut this much? I remember there were discussions about um, limits to how much they could cut ahead of the APEC Plus decision. Right. No, that that's an excellent question. So, in general, when we looked at the numbers and looked at you know the history of the Russian production, it does seem that three million barrels per day is doable if done temporary. Um, so you're absolutely correct that if there is a prolonged large-scale shut-in, it would mean closing tens of thousands of marginal wells, many of them which would never return back to profit. Um, so the best example was the, the early 90s, uh, following the collapse of the Soviet Union, Russian crude oil production um, reached a record low of about 6 million barrels per day in 96. Uh, so the record high was 11.4 in, in 87. So that was a steady decline no spending, um, no spending. So it, it, after that, it took uh, more than two decades of a very strong capital investment, equating to hundreds of billions of dollars for Russia to be able to restore its crude oil production capacity. So the example you gave is a very good example about OPEC, uh, the OPEC's decision to cut production in May. So Russia at that time, it cut uh, almost 2 million barrels per day, and that was done within a month. So very fast, uh, unprecedented size of a cut. Uh, but at the same time, this you know the fears that future Russian oil production would be compromised. So far, they haven't materialized. So Russian production, clearly before the start of the war, was not yet back to the to the pre-COVID levels. We were still missing about 350 kBD. But uh, so we cannot be certain for sure that those fields would have returned uh, fully. But at the same time, uh, the recovery in those fields uh, leading up to uh, to April 2022 appears to have been relatively stable with, with few exceptions. So our view is that 3 million barrels per day is doable. Uh, we do not see um, significant limitations to doing so if it's done temporary. And so here the, the magic word is, uh, is temporary. Uh, another point to make is that Russia has at its disposal other tools, yes, outside of the domestic production to interfere or influence global oil supply Kazakhstan is a very good example, about 80% of that's about 1 million barrels per day of crude exports are shipped from the Caspian Pipeline Consortium Terminal in the Black Sea port of Novorossiysk, which is controlled by Russia. And then, you know, clearly Russia's 
very active in Libya as well, uh, was, uh, was another million barrels per day of production at risk. Anatoly, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, thank you all to listening to the Commodities Edition at JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. We look forward to continuing the conversation next week. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022, JP Morgan Chase & Company, All Rights Reserved. This episode was recorded on July 1st, 2022.